this week on American Idols. All right, gang, what are we going to do tonight? Well, there is this band that's going to be on TV tonight, and I want to watch them because all the kids at school are talking about them. They're The Who. The what? No, The Who. The huh? No, The Who. The Who? Exactly. Well, I think we should go to Shakespeare in the Park. <laughs> I think that doth not soundeth like a good idea. <laughs> I think we should go to the boat show. Well, I think that idea sounds all wet. Hello? Oh, my. Are they all right? Well, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Honey, is it bad news? The Joneses were in a car accident. They're taking them to the hospital just to be safe. Well, I think we should all go to the hospital. I think I know where we should go first. A mildly amusing little incident happened recently on a small plane in Utah. It was what they call a puddle jumper. It was just a small plane carrying a few passengers. And because it was small, it did not have that video that you've all seen on major flights that tell you what to do with your seat belt and your oxygen mask or life vest in case of emergency. And so the flight attendant had to do it uh, personally. And so she made her spill... And at the end, she added something that airline probably didn't put in the notes. She said, and to those of you who listened, thank you. And to those of you who ignored me, good luck. (laughs) Why is it that no sin is mentioned more, preached against, warned about in the Bible more than idolatry? It's as if the Bible is saying, listen, you're not paying attention. This is important. It could save your life. Don't worship false gods. Why is the object of our worship such a huge subject in the Bible? The great American novelist James Mishner had in one of his books called The Source a story about a family in primitive times. And the character's name was Erbaal. Now, Erbaal worshipped the god of death and the goddess of fertility. And he had a wife and a son. And the priest of the god of death said that Erbaal had to sacrifice his son to please the god. And so he drug his wife and his son to the temple. And there in front of his wife, he took his son and threw him into a fire. And his son was sacrificed to the God of death. And then the priestess of the temple of fertility announced that there was a new cult prostitute. And that one man from the village would be chosen to spend a week with her in the temple. And Erbile's name was chosen. And she saw a desire show up in his face that made her uh, sad. And Erbile went into the temple to spend a week with the prostitute. And there is his wife who's lost her son and in a sense her husband. And in the book, Michener has her say this line. If he had had different gods, he would have been a different man. Because what you worship determines who you become. The Bible even says they worshiped worthless idols and became worthless themselves you become like what you worship 
And this is disturbing when you consider that the God most worshipped in America is the one people see every day when they look in the mirror. The largest religion in the world is dedicated to the God named me. In fact, I would argue that the worship of the God named me is the underpinning of all idolatry. That what idolatry does, it conceals an all-about-me agenda. And so whether I'm worshiping that God named more or that God named success or that God named control or that God named now or that God named looks or that God named work, it's really all about me. And the roots of me worship go all the way back to the garden when the tempter showed up to that first couple and said, why does God not want you to have that fruit? He doesn't want you to be like him, does he? He wants you to think that everything's got to revolve around him. Why can't you be God? Why can't you be the center of things? Why can't your agenda be the most important agenda? And they bought the lie. And the quest for this lie has been passed down to all of their offspring. We've all been affected with the worship of God named me. You don't have to teach a child to say the word me or mine. you got to teach them to say share. You know why? Because every human is born with this motto. I love me some me. This is the chief idol. The one that Jesus came to topple. Many theologians would argue that the crux of everything Jesus taught is in Mark 8, 34. When he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now please understand, Jesus did not say... You must deny yourself things. Because that's what we often think he meant. Well, if I follow Jesus, I guess I'm going to have to give up cussing. I guess I'm going to have to give up drinking. I guess I'm going to have to give up playing golf on Sunday morning. He didn't say that. He did not say, you must deny yourself things. He said, you must deny yourself. You must experience a fundamental reorientation of what life and your personal agenda is all about. He is not saying what you people need is to get more religious. He is saying what you people need is to get crucified. We're going to have to fix what happened back in the garden when you bought the lie that it's all about you. And the remedy is so radical because the disease is so critical and everybody's infected. I want right now to make that point by having you watch a short little video. Now, at first, you're going to think it's funny. But I hope at the end, it starts to bother you just a little bit. So watch uh, overhead, please. It is all about you. 
Now the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. All this for only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME. Or order online at memyselfandi.com. Call today because no one can praise you like you. All right, now I know what you're thinking. I would never sing a song like that. That is not me. I, I agree. We would never sing those words. But I wonder sometimes if God doesn't hear them anyway. I began to reflect in 30 years of ministry, what kind of counseling do I do the most? And basically, I broke it down into three basic areas. And I bet 90% of the counseling I've ever done on spiritual things is in one of these three areas. One is what I would call unhappiness with life, where someone is just bitter and cynical and upset because life just hasn't worked out like they want. And here's the thing. So we have to get past this bitterness and let it go. And so we start to say, let's think of things to be thankful for because the Scripture says we are to give thanks in all circumstances. And most people, including most Christians, seem to believe their difficulties trump God's command to give thanks. As if their ingratitude and their bitterness and their cynicism is something they are entitled to. Because as one dad told me recently as he announced his plan to have an affair and leave his wife and leave his kids because his life just wasn't working out the way he wanted. And he said to me, I deserve to be happy. Well, he might as well have just sung, now I lift my name on high. Because that was the music of his life, whether he ever sang the song or not. What about relationships? Another area where I see a lot of people. We're made for community besides God. When God made man and he was alone, he said, that's just good. He needs me, but he needs someone else. So we're made for community besides God, but we're not made for community apart from God. And what happens when we listen to the lie is that we start thinking the purpose of other people is to fill me. Several years ago, there was a popular movie starring Tom Cruise. And at the end of this movie, he walks into this house where there's a whole circle of women having a Why We Hate Men meeting. And he starts to make this speech to this woman that he loves. And he says to her at the end, You complete me. And every woman in America sighed. And every man in America threw up. And... For once, I think heaven agreed more with the men. Because it is a lie that it's anybody else's job to complete me. 
To put that kind of pressure on other people that you're to do what only God can do for me. And so consequently we live incredibly selfish lives. Never really able to love each other because we're constantly thinking, yeah, but what am I getting out of it? What are you doing for me? And the third area where I do a lot of counseling is just unhappiness with church life. Churches fuss about this and about that, and 90% of all church battles come down to, I'm not getting it my way. Particularly when we fuss about worship. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with upset Christians because I don't like that worship. It doesn't do anything for me. Instead of asking, what does this worship do for me? Why don't we ask, what does my worship do for God? I've told this story on myself, but some years ago, I went to a service, a rare time where I wasn't uh, speaking or leading, and I was at the back. And the congregation stood to sing a song, and I know some of you are going to dislike me for saying what I'm about to say, but I have never liked the song, Victory in Jesus. I know that's some of your favorite song, but it's not mine. I think it's because in the little church I grew up in, if we sang all the verses of victory in Jesus, it took us 15 minutes. But they started singing victory in Jesus. And we all stood, and my attitude was not good. I heard an old, old story. Now here's the irony. The week before, here in this church, in this pulpit, I've been preaching on Malachi chapter 2 and 1, where God says, how dare you bring your second-rate offerings to me, your sheep with your blemishes. You wouldn't give to your boss what you give to me. And here I was. Oh, victory in Jesus. When's this song going to be over? (laughs) And right there in the middle of that song... God spoke to me. And if that makes you nervous, I'm apologize. I don't hear God every day, but a few times I do, and I heard him that day. And here's what he said. Is this your best? And he nailed me. Because in that moment, because I didn't like what the song did for me, I felt entitled to not give God what he was due. And I raised my hands and I sang that song as loud as I could sing it. I still don't like the song. But I'm never going to sing it second rate again. Are you beginning to understand why the Bible talks about idolatry so much? Because idolatry is our attempt to baptize an all-about-me worldview. But the problem is that it's not the view of the one who made the world. You see, Scripture reveals an all-about-God story. The Bible says God does not exist to make much of me. I exist to make much of God. That you and I were divinely designed to bring glory to God. Glory means weight. It means God is heavy and we are designed to let the world know. Because God's priority is to reveal himself. 
and to make himself known. And you need to understand that trumps your comfort, your agenda, your personal choice or preference. God's priority is always going to be to make himself known and to reveal his glory through you. However, that takes happen. Psalm 8 verse 1. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. What's he saying? He's saying you can't look up into the sky and not see God as heavy. When the angels in Isaiah's vision are singing to God around his throne in Isaiah 6, 3. They're calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What are they saying? You can't take a step on this earth and not see the God factor. See, God wants his glory to be heavy among us. It's in the skies. It's in the earth. And it's not because God has an ego problem. God wants his glory revealed not for his sake. It's for our sake. If you were out at sea and the boat you were on sank and you're in the dark water and it's night and you can't see anything and the water's frigid and you know your situation is desperate and all the people in the water with you and then here comes a man in a rowboat. He's the captain of a lifeboat. Do you want him to announce himself? Do you want him to reveal himself? Of course you do. And you want everybody else in the water to be quiet so you can hear the one who can save you. Scripture tells a story of a God who came to love and save his people. He put them in a garden, but they bought a lie that they were the stars of the story. In fact, he had to wipe out the world and start over with, and he picked this 99-year-old man and got his wife pregnant so that through their seed, he could bring up a people to start telling the story to the world. He took them down to Egypt for a time and they were enslaved and he redeemed them with plagues and put them through a sea and he took them into a land where they grew into a nation and it was also that someday a virgin of those Jewish people could have a baby. God in the flesh. But here's what we do. Imagine that you have been picked to be an extra in a movie. There's this big scene of a crowd of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And you're one of the people. And they pan the crowd for about two or three seconds in the movie. And the movie comes out. And you go buy all the tickets of a theater. And invite all your friends to come watch your movie. And you're on the screen for two-fifths of one second in a huge crowd. But then you get up at the end and you say, did you like my movie? Do you think I'm going to be nominated for an Oscar? Because that's what we're doing. We're apart for a split second in eternity of this incredible story of God and His glory. And we think the movie is about us. And His voice is drowned out because all these people are calling attention to themselves. How does God feel about that? How does God feel when we hijack His story and act like the movie is about us? 
In Romans chapter 1 we read, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. What's he saying? He's saying God has set His glory above the heavens and filled the earth with it. And you can't honestly believe you're just a cosmic accident. You can't look at this creation and think that somebody bigger and stronger Someone who's more a star of the story than you are is behind this whole thing. But what do men do? It says in verse 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God images and that's why we have idols because we want to be the star of the story and what happens when men terminate worship on something he created what happens when men hijack the story and rewrite it with themselves at the center Do you have any wonder what God's response is going to be? Isaiah 42 verse 8. He says, I'm the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I will not let you hijack my story. I will not let you recast yourselves as a star. And so there's a place. There's a place for all the people who want to have it their way. It's called hell. Eternal judgment is God's response to the belittlement of His name. And so God says, if you want to have it your way, if you want it to be all about you, you can spend eternity consumed with your misery and your despair and your loneliness and your weakness. You can have it your way. And to show you how infected we are, that makes us angry. And we say, how dare God send anybody to hell? And the very fact that we don't think the hijacking of his story and the belittlement of his name is a big deal just shows you how consumed with self-absorption we are. And that's why Jesus came. To deliver us from Meville. Because Jesus understood the story. He's entered into the holy city. It's the last week of his life. Some Gentiles asked to meet him. And he knows what that means. He says the seed's going to have to die. But it's going to bear a lot of fruit. But the seed is going to have to die. And he says in John chapter 12. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Do you see what he's saying? Father, this is about your story. It's not about me. And there came a voice from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
And Jesus understood the story. And so the night before he died, he prayed in John 17, verse 4. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's the prayer I want to pray before I die. If God should grant me the grace to know I'm about to die, I hope I can pray that prayer. I brought you glory by completing the work you gave me to do. Because the fundamental question of existence is how much weight is God going to have in your life? Who's going to be the star of the story? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Jesus came to take the story back. He came to deliver us from Meville. He became like me to save me from me. But the remedy's radical. Look at it one more time. Let's look at Luke's version. He said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Why is that word daily added? Because Jesus understands that's the nature of the struggle. I just can't get a shot and inoculate myself from the God named me. I'm going to have to make the decision every day. I'm going to have to make the decision every hour in this moment. Is this going to be about me or about the glory of God? And so Jesus says, you must decide every day. Is it you or me? It's not easy. I know at least in my life, I have made that decision. I have told Jesus it's all about him. And then the slightest incident can cause me to rewrite the story. In fact, indulge me. Watch one more brief little video. I think it'll make my point. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. 
As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Cat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Here's the thing about idols. They have to be smashed. Over and over in the Bible... That's what people did to idols. You have to be intentional. You have to be deliberate. And you have to go all in. You have to smash them. Every day. And the place to start. Is with the God in the mirror. Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love. Tells a story about a friend he had, a successful businessman named Stan Gerlach. And Stan was speaking at a funeral service, giving the obituary. And he felt compelled, as he did so, to share the story of Jesus. And his last words were, You never know when it might be your time to die. Are you ready? And he went and he sat down at the seat at the front of the service. And a few moments later... He fell over and he died. Francis got the word and he rushed over to the family's house. And when he got there, there was his son with tears. And he said, did you hear about dad? Did you hear about dad? His last words were about Jesus. And Francis got the family together and he opened his Bible to Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before men. My father. And Francis said, I want you to imagine that a few moments ago, your father was standing in front of people saying, This is who Jesus is. And just a moment later, he heard Jesus turn to God and say, This is who Stan Gerlach is. Now, when we preach, your service. Who will we say you talked about the most? Who was the star of the story? Well, Father, I just pray now in Jesus' name that you would give us enough courage today to be honest with this teaching. Deliver us, God, from the seduction of thinking that just because I make one or two little small sacrifices, I've really denied self. It's easy, God, to be religious and still live all about me. So help us, Father, to do some real warfare this morning. Help us to listen to anything the Spirit is prompting us to deal with today. 
Help us to give you the weight in our lives that you deserve. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we're going to sing a song of worship. And as we sing, if you would like leaders to pray with you, you can go back to our chapel. If you'd like to be baptized into Jesus, you can come this morning and do so. Let me just take a moment and tell you last night at our service, I think God showed up in an amazing way and we had people, the prayer teams around the auditorium and every one of them was busy as people said, you know what, it's time for me to get serious about the fact that I haven't died to myself. And I told them what I'm about to tell you. If you hear God doing something in your heart and you're too cowardly to get up and go do something about it, you, that tells you you're still all about you. Because if obedience and recommitment to God is being hindered by what somebody might think about you if you do something, it's still all about you. Last night, some people gave it over to God. One young woman came up to be baptized who didn't even know when she came last night what she'd be doing. But she just came down in tears and said, I'm tired of it being about me. Has this just been a series? Or have we learned who God is? Let's all stand. Let's all worship.